Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. What is going on in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals? Like, for real. This series is absolutely unpredictable and all over the place. And you never know what to expect from game to game as these games aren't even really close. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined here inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. We got a good show lined up for you today. Got two guests. Both are in the final hour of today's show. They're in the 8 o'clock hour. Going to talk all things recruiting, latest updates involving the Cajuns, Cowboys, and Tigers with our buddy Jared Rozier. That'll be at 8 o'clock. At 8.30, we'll talk NBA playoffs with Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights. So we got two guests lined up for you today, both on the back end of the show. So plenty of time for your phone calls. Call us on the hotline. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'd love to hear from you this morning. We're going to touch on a slew of different things. College baseball. Conference tournaments are this week. Weather reports are not optimal. But teams have already left. Teams are preparing for making a run at their conference tournaments while the SEC and the Sunbelt Conference announced their award winners. We'll get to that. Of course, we'll touch on a little Major League Baseball. Houston Astros. Get humbled at home by the Cleveland Guardians. We'll get to that. But we'll start off today's show talking NBA playoffs. Can't figure out what's going on in the Eastern Conference Finals. Western Conference Finals, it's a clear example of the Golden State Warriors are the veteran team. Golden State Warriors have more talent, more depth, and can take on Luka and his 40 points a night, and not miss a beat because of their experience and because of their talent. That's why they're up three games to none. And tonight had the opportunity to sweep the Mavericks out of the playoffs, win the Western Conference Championship, and punch their ticket to the NBA Finals. The East, that's a whole other thing. Boston bounces back with a 102-82 victory. Excuse me. This series is now tied 2-2. And these games are wildly all over the place. The pendulum is swinging way too far. Now, injuries are playing a role in this. Remember game one, 
Marcus Smart had the foot injury and Al Horford couldn't play because of COVID protocols. So Boston was without two of its starters. Played a huge role as Jimmy Butler went off for 41 points. Well, then they got Smart and Horford back and Boston was able to bounce back and win game two comfortably. Well, last night, you didn't have Marcus Smart again because he's got a foot injury. Yet Boston still crushed the faces of the Miami Heat. Why? Well, I don't know. I, I can't get a read on this series whatsoever. Because they're all over the place. There's no consistency in this series. There's no consistent play among the players in this series. There just isn't. I mean, no Tyler Hero yesterday, or last night rather, but Miami still got 23 points after out of Victor Oladupo. They even dusted off old Duncan Robinson who got like $80 million to do a podcast because he hasn't played at all. Wasn't enough. Because Boston, Tatum set the tone. He dropped in 31 points. They got 12 from Williams, 13 from White, and they got 12 for Jalen Brown. Al Horford gave them nothing. Five points. Al Horford is the old man of the group. Pritchard come off the bench and gave him 14. But Boston had four of their five starters scoring double figures. Jason Tatum went off, had 31 points, had a great night. But you look at Miami. They didn't have Hero in this game. Their bench, they had three guys scoring double figures. Three. 12 points from Martin, 23 from Oladupo, 14 from Robinson. They didn't have a single starter scoring double figures. What? What? What's going on? I don't understand. I don't understand. Now, Jimmy Butler was not his best. He looks banged up to me. 3 of 14 from the field. Credit Boston's defense for frustrating him, not letting him get clean looks last night. He only had six points. Kyle Lowry played 21 points and gave them a whopping three points. I don't care who you are. Anytime you don't have any one of your starting five scoring double figures, you're typically not going to win the ballgame. Just an abysmal performance by Boston starting five. Once I mean, Miami starting five. Once again, credit, credit, credit Miami, uh, credit Boston's defense. Because they came to play. They came to play. And this is what's crazy about this series. Usually in a series, especially in a seven-game series, you'll start to see trends. You'll start to see a team develop 
you got to love when technology doesn't work. You start to develop trends. But you're not seeing that with this. This series is all over the place. You think Miami has an advantage because Jimmy Butler goes off for 41 points in game one. But then Boston responds. But then you think, okay, the series is going back to Boston. The Celtics have all the momentum because they tied up the series. They're going to be in front of the home crowd. Now it's time for them to to take control. Well, then they lose a tough game in game three. And you're like, what's going on? And then you find out Smart's not going to play in game four. And here we are, 2-2. I knew this was going to be a good series. I knew this was going to be a tough series. I expected this to be a six to seven game series. I really did. How we got here is a totally, totally different scenario than the one that I had in my head. Players are not playing consistently from game to game. Y'all have one game where Jason Tatum is okay. The next game, he's great. Jimmy Butler goes off for 41 points, and then you have him in single digits last night. It's hard to get a read on things. And... You're having guys, the injuries are, I think, playing a role here in the chemistry and the consistency and the flow of these games. Smart's missed two games now for Boston, two of the four. Tyler Hero's missed some time. Jimmy Butler's banged up. Al Horford missed a game. So you're talking about starters in this series in an Eastern Conference final series that have already missed multiple games. I think that's playing a role because defensively you're trying to game plan for their starting five or what they like to do, and then some of those guys are out, so they change up what they do and they kind of catch you off guard a little bit. Offensively, if you're Miami, you take advantage of not having Smart there, but they weren't able to do that last night. I mean, forget, don't forget, Marcus Smart is the defensive player of the year. First guard to win that award since... Gary Payton, the glove, back in the day. Yet, Boston's defense, which, let's be honest, had probably was the best defense in the NBA the last 35 games of the season. Did not have their defensive player of the year. Did not matter. They shut down Miami's starting five. Heat couldn't do anything. Couldn't do jack. It's impressive. It's absolutely impressive what Boston did last night. But is this going to be the series where it's going to go back and forth? And what I mean by that is that you're not going to have a team win two games in a row. Is that what we're going to have? Because that's what we've had so far. Miami won game one. Boston won game two. Miami won game three. Boston won game four last night. So by that trend, Miami should win game five. Then Boston will win game six. Then Miami wins game seven. That's how it's kind of going. So the big question for the Eastern Conference Finals, which team is going to be able to figure out how to win two games in a row? Because whoever does that wins the series. Right now it's tied 2-2. We haven't had anyone win two games back-to-back. 
Do you have any confidence that one of these teams can win two games in a row? I don't. I think they're so evenly matched, and they have the injury issues on both rosters, and they both play such good defense that I don't see... I would not be surprised if it keeps going Miami, Boston, Miami, Boston, Miami, Boston. I, I just I, That would not surprise me one, one bit. In the Western Conference, though, are the Dubs going to complete the sweep tonight against the Mavericks? Sure does feel like it's trending that way. They're up three games to none. When you're getting Andrew Wiggins, a player formerly bantered about about possibly being a draft bus who has reinvigorated his career playing with the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green. And when he goes off for a double-double in game three, a game that Luka still scored 40 points and Brunson added 20, <laughs> and they still easily were defeated, just, it just doesn't seem like the Mavs have enough dogs for Golden State. And it also feels like the Warriors reset themselves looking sloppy against Memphis where they had the turnovers and they dropped a game and they looked bad in another game against Memphis when the Grizzlies didn't even have John Morant. I think it feels like watching them play against Dallas that they've reset themselves. It's also a bad matchup for Dallas. Just personnel-wise, Dallas doesn't have the guys to match up with Golden State. Plus, I'm not sold on Jason Kidd as a coach. And there's, you know, Steve Kerr, Mike Brown, whoever it is on the bench for the Warriors because of Steve's health issues. They have the experience. Kidd doesn't. Not as a manager. Not as a coach. Just doesn't have it. So, game four, the Western Conference Finals will be tonight. And here's the interesting thing. Even if Dallas wins tonight and forces a game five, stays off elimination, if you will, I still like Golden State to win this series in five, which means that the Warriors, the old men, are going to have the extra time off because the Boston-Miami series is at least going to go two more games. So, really, if Golden State can win tonight, they're going to have even an uh, even more rest. And the old men of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green have extra time to rest. They can heal up. They can charge those batteries. And then they can await whoever's going to win the slugfest coming out of the Eastern Conference. That's going to be an advantage, Golden State. So we'll see if the Warriors can finish out the sweep tonight against the Dallas Mavericks. Or does Luka have enough in the tank? Does he need to drop 60? It feels that way. To get this team a win in the Western Conference Finals, will Dallas's bench get fined yet again by the NBA? Possibly. But the Eastern Conference Finals are a little crazy. Injuries, how well these teams play defense, has played a big role in this, that we have an absolute dogfight. But the pendulum swings wildly from game to game. What's going to happen in game five? I can't wait. You're going to have to wait, though. 
for more great sports talk because we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up. Oh, yeah. Coming up after this timeout because we're going to tackle what happened to the Astros last night. They were humbled at home to the Cleveland Guardians. Yes, that's the team that used to be the Indians. I've been asked that numerous times. I'm here to help. We'll talk about that coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, if you haven't joined the clubhouse yet at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, guess what? Let's make today the day that you make that happen. Here's the deal. You simply go to the website. Check us out. Go to the website. Click on the Clubhouse Rewards tab. Boom. Then you'll go to the page. You can sign up. It's free to do so. Here's the deal. Once you become a member, just by signing up, you're going to earn points. Just by signing up, free points headed your way. Those points you earn in our Clubhouse, think of it as your currency. That currency can be used to win free stuff like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. Hello. You can have a good time at Mr. Lester's. Great steak, mouth-watering steak. You like it medium rare? You like it rare? You like it medium well? If you're one of those people, it's fine. Medium well people, I don't know who you are. It doesn't matter. Mr. Lester's will not pass judgment on your steak choice. They will cook your steak perfect. Exactly how you want it. Have a great time. $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse. Hey, while you're also in the clubhouse, you can try to enter to win a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Want to get your seafood on? Fresh Gulf seafood? Got you covered. $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. But you can only win that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's or the $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House by signing up for the clubhouse today. Go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com so you can have your chance to enter and win great free stuff. Let's talk about the Houston Astros. Can't win them all. It's a long season. As my Atlanta Braves have found out so well this year. After last night's 7-3 loss, 19-23 overall in the season. But as Kevin Foote has informed me, pulled me aside, gave me a pearl of wisdom, it's a hammock season for my Braves. Just sit back and enjoy the championship. The Strohs, meanwhile, well, they lose at home 6-1 to to the Cleveland Guardians. The Guardians are not good. They're 18-20. and 20. They're just right under 500 on the season after last night's 6-1 victory. Astros are better, but not last night. 
This was a scoreless game in the top of the third when the Guardians played it two more two runs. Then they added two more in the fifth, and then they had two more in the seventh. By that time, they were rolling. Houston finally gets a run in the bottom of the sixth, but it's too little, too late. Credit McKenzie for Cleveland. He held the Strohs to one earned run in seven innings. That's it. That's it. And he didn't overpower them. He only struck out three batters. But he was crafty with his pitches, and he got after it. Luis Garcia didn't have the best night on the bump. Two earned runs as he falls to three and three on the season. He struck out four. He was pulled there after the sixth inning. But the Strohs lineup, with the exception of Altuve, who got himself a hit, Bregman, who has been slumping of late, he also scored the lone run for the Strohs. Pena gets a hit, and Maldonado gets a hit. That was it. And Bregs, of course, his run comes, and his run and hit comes off a home run there in the seventh. Of course, Bregman, who's been struggling, would get a home run and score in a five-run loss. But maybe you can get his bat to wake up. Can't have it all. Garcia, look, not a great performance. Only lasted the five innings there. Gets pulled right before the six. Two runs, but only two of them were earned. So the Strohs, a little sloppy, right? Didn't do their pitcher any favors. Two errors by the Strohs. Pena had the throwing error, and then Garcia had a throwing error as well, so Luis did not help himself. So an off night for the Strohs. couple errors. Lineups held to four hits, only one run. And the Guardians take advantage. Guardians are well-coached. Terry Francona, former two-time World Series championship Skipper for the Boston Red Sox, who's been with Cleveland for a while now and got them to a World Series. A well-coached team will take advantage of these situations. An off night for the Strohs. Can they bounce back? Of course they will. Of course they will. They're one of the best teams in baseball. Yes, they will bounce back in a big way. It's always weird because this is this is something that you're going to have to pay attention to if you're a baseball fan. Because of the lockout, they still crammed the 162 games into the schedule. But typically where you would have a off day here and there, you don't have those. Those have been removed for not only the Strohs, but for all teams. So in a lot of ways, you'd get done with a weekend series like Houston did with a four-game set against Texas that was Thursday through Sunday. You may have had an off day in between. You don't. <clears throat> we talked about how the fact that the shows are playing like 22 straight games or 22 straight days without a day off. Now, they'll get one this week, but 
that's part of it. All right, you're going to see this, and this is something to pay attention to for the rest of the season, for all the teams. How are teams going to deal with the fact that the players are going to get a little tired? You're still playing the 162, but you're having to do it in less time. And even though you think, oh, it's not a big deal, like a week and a half, two weeks of the season got taken away and you're condensing it down, well, those days come from somewhere. And you play so many days in a row, a team's going to get tired. It just is that way. How do managers handle it? We saw Dusty Baker give Bregman a day off last week, remember? You pick and choose the spots where you let your guys have some time off. So it'll be interesting to see, with the season being so compact now, how does that impact teams and how does that force teams to attack their days off or when to give players days off? The two teams will square off again tonight there in Houston. First pitch set for 7-10. Of course, you can listen to the game live right here on the game. Cleveland at Houston, live from Minute Maid Ballpark. 7-10 first pitch. Framer Valdez is going to be taking the bump for the Strohs. Plezak is going to be taking the bump for Cleveland. You can listen to it right here on the game. First pitch once again. Set for 7-10 tonight, Cleveland at Houston. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll unveil our poll question of the day. We'll talk a little college baseball. That's coming up next. You know what? We'll also take your phone calls. Hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed. Twice. In the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Dylan Cruz has had a monster year. And I'm not just talking about that because he has a sensational mustache. No, no. The LSU slugger has just been absolutely phenomenal. And he picked up a well-deserving award yesterday when the SEC unveiled its all-conference teams and its award winners, if you will. And Dylan Cruz was named Co-Player of the Year. Yeah, Co-Player of the Year. Very rarely do you get Co-Players of the Year, but they got it this year. Dylan Cruz, Jacob Berry, and Trey Morgan all earned all SEC recognition, but Cruz was named 
Co-Player of the Year. He becomes LSU's first SEC Player of the Year since Rhymes did it in 2012. When I saw that, I was like, that's got to be a typo. But it's the truth. LSU had not have a had an SEC Player of the Year since 2012. It's been a decade. Think about that for a second. As much tradition, as great as LSU baseball is, they hadn't had a Player of the Year in a decade? That all changed yesterday. Dylan was named Southeastern Conference Co-Player of the Year Monday by a vote of the league's 14 head coaches. The sophomore shared the, uh, the honor with Auburn first baseman Sonny Deshera. Cruz becomes LSU's first player of the year since Rhymes received the honor in 2012. Former LSU right-hander Aaron Nola was, was named Pitcher of the Year in 2013 and then again in 2014. So they had one of the big award winners since 2012, but still almost a decade for that as well. Cruz is hitting a respectable 345. 345, eight doubles, four triples, 21 home runs. By the way, in case you were wondering, that's a lot for college baseball. 67 ribbies, and he scored 63 runs. His 21 home runs represent the most by an LSU baseball player since Ryan Schimpf hit 22 in 2009. He leads the SEC this season in homers, runs scored, and is number two player in the league in triples, number two in total bases, number two in ribbies, number three in hits, and four in slugging percentage. So he's pretty good. Going to be an All-American. Dylan Cruz, glad to see that he was named player of the year, or at least co-player of the year. Don't get me wrong, the kid from Auburn's special. I get it, but joining him with some postseason accolades, of course, Jacob Berry earned second team honors from uh, the SEC. Trey Morgan earned all defensive team honors, but that's it. Cruz got co-player of the year, but they only had three players earn accolades. Evenly dispersed in the SEC this year. Now, Barry, as we know, he came over from Arizona with Jay Johnson. Right? He transferred over. Uh, he's hitting a team high 381, including hitting 400 in SEC competition. 15 home runs, 47 ribbies, and 43 runs scored for the former Wildcat turned Tiger. He did miss six games due to a finger injury. Morgan from New Orleans, as we know, was voted to the SEC's all-defensive team for a second straight year. He's number three in the league this season in doubles. He's also number three in hit-by-pitches. Been hit by pitches 14 times. My man is okay getting bruised up for the team. And number seven in the league in base hits. So Cruz is your co-player of the year with DeShera from Auburn. Pitcher of the year goes to Chase Dollander from Tennessee. Freshman of the year goes to Drew Beam of Tennessee. 
And the coach of the year goes to Tony Vitello of Tennessee. Obviously, Tennessee, the best team in the conference, the number one seed for the tournament, and the number one overall team in the country. Fun fact. No team that was ranked number one overall for the NCAA baseball tournament, starting with the regionals on, has won the national title since 1999. Just like to point that out. As great as Tennessee's been, and they have been absolutely head and shoulders above everyone else this year. The last team to win the College World Series ranked as the number one overall seed in the whole tournament was Miami, the Hurricanes, back in 1999. Just a little food for thought. Just going just gonna to put that out there. It's been a while. It's been a while. So as great as Tennessee is, yeah, I'm just saying, just saying. It's one of those weird things where you're like, you kind of don't want to be the one <laughs> because... Well, here you are. Hey, Tennessee's good enough that they can go and win a national championship. I'm not saying that. I'm just providing you with the information that I have at my fingertips. That's all. And right now, if they started seeding for the regionals today, Tennessee would be your number one overall seed. Maybe things don't go the volunteers way in Hoover this week. Maybe they go a little sideways. Maybe they drop off that one line. Hmm? Maybe. Maybe. Raging Cajuns had a few players pick up some awards yesterday as well because the Sun Belt unveiled its team's postseason honors for the 2022 season. Julian Brock and Carson Rockefort both earned first team honors all Sun Belt. Shout out to them. Carson and Julian are both sophomores. And they were each selected to the first team in voting by the league's head coaches. With Rockefort being selected at first base and Brock being selected at catcher. By the way, Brock is just a long line of catchers that for the Raging Cajuns that earn all-conference honors. They have a bit of a string there for a while, for about 15 years. Rockefort joins Philip Hawk and Aguirre as the only Raging Cajuns to earn all SBC honors playing first base. He finished as the team's second leading, oh, I'm sorry, finished as the conference's second leading hitter, averaging 392 during the regular season and 420 in Sunbelt Conference play. The young man from Port Natchez Grove, Texas, Finished second in the conference in both RBIs and stolen bases. Was tied for second in home runs, third in slugging, and tied for third in hits. He led the Raging Cajuns with 23 multiple hit games during the regular season. And had seven games of three hits or more. I think he probably should have been in the mix for player of the year, but that's just me. Brock, meanwhile is the second Raging Cajun player to earn first-team honors behind the plate in as many seasons. Drake Osborne did it last year, if you remember. He hit 306 during the regular season, 324 in SBC play. He becomes the eighth Raging Cajun catcher 
to earn all Sunbelt Conference team honors the eighth. It's a bit of a run. The Cages know how to develop all conference catchers. He threw out 23 of 50, 52 potential runners and stolen bases on the season and was 10 of 23 in SBC play, posting a fielding percentage of 996, which last time I checked is fairly good. Of course, the Raging Cajuns will begin Sunbelt Championship Tournament Wednesday. They're scheduled to take on arch nemesis rival South Alabama at 4 o'clock there in Montgomery. Weather permitting. Once again, weather permitting. Scheduled. LSU is scheduled to play the winner of Auburn, Kentucky at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night in Hoover. The Raging Cajuns are scheduled to play South Alabama at 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Severe thunderstorms, 70% chance of those are supposed to be in that area of the state of Alabama on Wednesday and Thursday. So, once again, fluid situation when it comes to the old conference tournament schedule. Make sure you're flexible and ready to see games get delayed over and over again. <laughs> Just saying. For the Sun Belt, Player of the Year went to Dalton Shuffield from Texas State. We talked about that with Jay. We pretty much expected that, right? The senior shortstop, he's really, really good. But Carson's numbers are right there with him. But Texas State wins the regular season championship. You see how this works. The Cajuns are the fourth seed. So, yeah, that series meant everything. The Cajuns could, if they would have won that series or taken two of three from Texas State, they could have won the Sun Belt regular season title. Instead, they finished fourth. That's how it works. So, Shuffield is your player of the year, pitcher of the year, Reed Van Scoter from Coastal Carolina. Newcomer of the year, Georgia State's Max Ryerson. And the coach of the year goes to Stephen Trout from Texas State. I thought maybe they would have got another player on second team somewhere. But... Congratulations on the two honors for the Raging Cajun Baseball Stars. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. It is baseball related. That's right. Baseball related. When you got song in you, you just got to let it out. How many games does LSU need to win in Hoover to host a regional? We know that the Cajuns are not going to get into a regional unless they win the conference tournament this week. We know that based on where their RPI is at and based where expectations at. And based on when you talk to people involved with the Raging Cajuns, they know they have to win the conference tournament to get to an NCAA regional. McNeese, meanwhile, they're playing in a best two of three series for the Southland Conference Tournament Championship this coming weekend against Southeastern. So they have a chance to punch their ticket. But LSU, they still have an opportunity to host. They're getting into a regional. No matter what happens this week in Hoover, the Tigers are getting into a regional. Whether or not they're going to be a two-seed or are they going to host, which we've talked about over and over again, that the NCAA would love Baton Rouge to be a host city. They bumped all the way up to 21 in the latest RPIs. They moved up, what, 10, 11 spots after sweeping Vandy. Some will tell you because they got to the 17-win plateau that that's enough. They got to 17 wins in SEC play. That's traditionally 
traditionally speaking, been enough to host a regional. I feel like they got to at least win one game. That's me. That's my personal opinion. I think if they win one game, they get to 18 wins. They prove to the committee that the Vanderbilt sweep was not a fluke, that the committee will grant LSU a regional host site. But we want to hear from you. Have they already done enough? Did the sweep against Vandy, is that enough? No matter what happens in Hoover, will they still host? Or do they need to win a game? Or do they need to win two games? I've gone back and forth on this. I actually say it's only one game. That's our poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win in Hoover to host an NCAA regional? We want to hear from you. Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one here in RP3 and company. That's all coming up next. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win in Hoover to host a regional? That's our poll question of the day. There's been some debate on this. Many believe because of the sweep at Vanderbilt that gets LSU to 17 wins, they get the double bye at the SEC tournament, that that is going to be enough. 17 wins in the SEC is typically the standard to be able to host a regional, and we know how much the NCAA would love LSU to host. Is that enough? Or do the Tigers need to win at least one game in Hoover? Or should they? do they need to win two? Right now, the votes, I'm a little surprised by this. I'm not going to lie to you. The votes for the poll question of the day, it's early. I understand. 78% of you say they need to win at least two games. I mean, two games would definitely get it done. But I think they can get away with getting one win. They get to 18 wins in SEC play. If it's borderline, they're going to give it to LSU. Right now, 78% of you say two, 9% of you say one game, 13% say no games. They're good right now as is. Steve says, the Al said three. I'm sorry, that's how many licks it took for him to get to the center of the Tootsie Roll pop. That's right. If you win 17 in the SEC, it should be plenty. JPK, the OD, says 80, wait, 82. What? The question wasn't how many days till the Saints' first game? I must have read that wrong. Hashtag Saints, hashtag one track man, hashtag it just matters. <laughs> JPK, the OD, is ready for the Saints' season, is what he's trying to tell us. Ton on Twitter says, two, NCAA has to make it look like they're not showing favoritism in regional sites, right? I, I don't think so. NCAA wants to make money. <laughs> they they, they want to make money. And look. LSU crushed. It wasn't just that they swept Vandy. They crushed their faces. That was an absolute epic beatdown by Jay Johnson's team. I don't think they need to. I think you win one game at the SEC tournament. I think that will be plenty for them to host a regional. John Paul, Cajun Daddy says they got to win as many as they can. The more wins, the more chances increases. Have a great day. I like that approach. Shout out to John Paul. 
Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments, of course, on Facebook and Twitter. And just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We don't want Facebook police to come after you. Woo! Boom. Comment deleted. Comment blocked. Don't want that. You don't want to start off your Tuesday that way, do you? Oh, just make sure you keep it clean for the kids when it comes to the old comments on the poll question of the day here at the game. So make sure you keep those votes coming. We got some comments on Facebook to get to as well. Jude Miller with the efficient comment. I love efficiency. One. Boom. The number one. Didn't even write out the three letters of the word one. Jude went one. Wildly efficient. Most efficient comment of all time. Shout out to Jude. Brian says two because they are on the bubble. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just think that they're a bubble team that the NCAA would favor. Matt Reed says two as well. So keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. We want to hear from you. How many games does LSU need to win this week in Hoover at the SEC tournament to be able to clinch hosting a regional? Is it two, one, or zero? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. Phone lines are open. Give us a holler. Game hotline, 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It's already begun. Weather playing a factor at our conference tournaments for the Sun Belt. And for the SEC over in Alabama this week, they actually start today for the single elimination portion of both tournaments. Sunbelt in Montgomery, where the Biscuits play. SEC at the Met in Hoover. Schedule update from the Sunbelt. This was last night. Due to inclement weather in the forecast, Tuesday's games will be reshuffled. So they're changing the times up, playing them earlier at noon and at at 3.30 to get the single elimination games in. So it's already begun. They're already worried about the severe weather that's supposed to go through the area. Once again, the Raging Cajuns are supposed to open up Sunbelt Conference tournament play on Wednesday at 4 o'clock against arch rival South Alabama. LSU is supposed to be opening up SEC tournament play Wednesday night against the winner of Auburn, Kentucky, and that'll be at 8 o'clock. So we'll see if those times uh, stay and how much weather is going to play havoc on the conference tournaments 
this week for the Sun Belt and the SEC. Southland doesn't have to worry about that. They split up their tournament, did it a week early. They're going to have a best two out of three championship series at Joe Miller Ballpark, home in McNeese, as the Cowboys are going to take on the Lions of Southeastern Louisiana. That'll begin Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All three games, if necessary, will have first pitch at 6 o'clock live from the Joe. Right now, let's head out to the hotline and welcome on someone that doesn't have to worry about weather delays. He's always on top of his game. Our good friend, Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie. Bud, how you doing this morning? Good morning, Mr. Third. Other than the science section, I'm, I'm doing all right. My uh, You sound amazing. Light. <laughs> I sound very nice. <laughs> My Tampa Bay Lightning, they swept the Florida Panthers four games to none. So uh, they're on track to defend and win their third straight uh, Stanley Cup. So I'm excited about that. There's your hockey talk for the day. Um, shout and out, I get to shout out hockey with talk, kids bud. here in a little while as a chaperone. So miss five names. I'm going to be uh, excited to do that and maybe find your stolen bowling ball. Or did they find that already? I don't know. I've kind of lost track. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That, that, so, uh, thank you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, poll question of the day. I think uh, I don't think LSU has to do anything, really. I mean, You've said it. You've said it before. NCAA wants everything to run through Baton Rouge because it's easy money, and they're all about the easy money. So uh, I'm going to go with zero, and uh, LSU is going to host and make an early egg. I mean, uh, anyway. So I hope you guys have a good rest of your day, good rest of your week, and uh, we are down to two days with kids, Mister the Third. Two days with kids. Two days. Two days, bud. Appreciate the phone call, Jamie. You'll make it through this week, bud. I promise. <laughs> Mr. Green's a trooper. Got the sinus infection. Still calls into the show. Still out there helping molding young minds. As he does. What a trooper. What a trooper. What a trooper. Yeah, school's wrapping up. And, uh, yeah, for, for, for my wife and I, the realization that our daughter is now done with second grade. Lost a tooth over the weekend. Got very excited about that. Thankfully, the tooth fairy had ones on itself that night. When, you know, she pops out of bed and is like, hey, yeah, my tooth fell out. <laughs> Yay. Outstanding. But the Tooth Fairy came, as she always does. So, yeah, second grade, man. Second grade's about to be in the books. She's going to be in third grade in the fall. Third. Where's the time going? Where's the time going? Yes, school is wrapping up. And, man, it the college year, because we, we, we don't look at things – when we talk sports or when we discuss you know discuss sports or just sports culture we view it as fall to spring right cuz we view it usually based on what colleges do well softball is in the books now for the teams that we care about McNeese UL LSU that they're still playing you know super regionals they'll be super regionals this week and then the women's college world series but 
I mean, we're nearing June where it's going to be all wrapped up. Then the College World Series. And we'll, we'll still have baseball. We'll still have Major League Baseball, thankfully, during the summer. But then you know, be here in no time. Yeah, look, it always feels like the year goes by fast, and then we always get to summer. We're like, oh, it's going to drag during the summer, but it never does. Because during the summer, it personally, you got your kid in camps. You're taking a vacation, a road trip vacation like I am with the family. You're, you're doing that. And then you turn around and be like, oh, it's time for SEC media days. And then, oh, a month later, high school and college football started. It, it, it will happen just like that. And then you'll be sitting here going, what happened? What happened? You don't know. The time will just fly by. Time will just fly by. LSU, UL, McNeese. Those are our three teams. Of the teams that I like to win their conference tournament, obviously you have to give the advantage to the Cowboys because they've reached the championship round. And they're playing a team that they swept during the regular season. But baseball folks are superstitious. And baseball folks, you know, will tell you, uh, it's not a good thing that you beat the team three straight times because they're due for a win. The game, the series against Southeastern, for McNeese will be at home at the Joe. So you'll have the home crowd advantage there, which will be nice. And because they were able to wrap up their portion of the bracket, they did so on Saturday. Southeastern needed Sunday to wrap up their portion of the bracket when they beat UNO. They get an extra day rest. And Justin Hill was able to use his bullpen very wisely and conserve his starting pitching during the Lake Charles bracket portion of the Southland Conference Tournament. McNeese should win. McNeese should win. But it's not going to be easy for sure. LSU, if they play like they did against Vanderbilt, they can win the whole thing. But that's the best we've seen that team play all year. Do we believe LSU can play that way for the entirety of the SEC tournament and through a regional and through a super regional and in Omaha? I don't know. I just don't know. And I think that's a fair assessment. It's not hating on LSU. I just think it's a fair assessment to go, well, can they? Will they? I mean, once again, they swept Vandy great. The weekend before, they were swept at home by Ole Miss for the first time ever in program history. So, which LSU team is going to show up? That's the question. And do they have enough pitching? I don't think they have enough pitching. This is an NCAA regional team. I think they'll win a game or two this week in Hoover. They'll host a regional. And they'll be favored to win their regional. But then you never do know. You never do know about this team. It's a it's an up-and-down team. It's been an up-and-down season for the Tigers, for Jay Johnson, his first year at the helm of the program, replacing Paul Maneri. You have to like their chances, but I don't know. And for the Cajuns, it's just so tough for them. It's just so tough. They have to start off 
Sunbelt Conference tournament play against their arch rival. Against their arch rival. And two of those games were decided by one run this season. And you heard Jay Walker tell us yesterday that South Alabama, the season began with their Friday night pitcher, but that's not who's become their number one pitcher. Their number one pitcher is the guy that they're going to be throwing Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon, rather. And that's the guy that beat them in that series earlier this year. Remember, Cajuns beat the Jaguars 5-4 in 11 innings, then fell to them 6-5 in game two. Now, the Cajuns took the rubber match at the Teague 6-3. But this is going to be a heck of a game to start off conference tournament. Having the four seed did not do them any favors whatsoever. Just didn't. And you got to take on a team that was the five seed, your arch rival. That's tough, man. It's just tough. Excuse me. And even if they win, they're at Riverwalk Stadium. And let's say they beat, they survive, and they beat South Alabama in their opening game there at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Okay? They do that. Great. Then they will move on and have to play at 7.30 on Thursday night. And they'll have to play more than likely Texas State. So their reward for getting the four seed in the conference tournament is, hey, guess what? You get to play your arch nemesis, South Alabama, who you played really close in three games this year. And then after that, if you win that game, you get to play number one overall seed, regular season champion, and the team that crushed your face for three games, sweeping you in San Marcos, the Texas State Bobcats. Look, if Matt Degg's team gets to the tournament championship and they win this thing, they will have earned it straight up because that is a brutal draw for the Cajuns. It just is. And then you heard Jay say that he thinks maybe the two best teams are actually on the other side of the bracket. The teams that have been playing the best, Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina in the last month of the season. So they have to battle it out on the other side of the bracket. So if you're the Cajuns, you have to play arch nemesis to start off with, a team that played you close and beat you. Then you have to take on the regular season champs, the number one overall seed, the team that swept you and crushed your face. And then if you get past them and you get to the championship round, you're going to await one of the best teams in the conference. Not optimal. Not optimal whatsoever. So if they win this conference tournament, if this year's Raging Cajun team does that, they will have earned it, buddy, let me tell you. That will be an epic tournament victory for them. Hopefully it will all begin tomorrow for the Cajuns. Hopefully they'll be able to actually play their game tomorrow. That's still up in the air because of weather. But LSU, 
I think they need to win at least one game. I think winning one game will secure them an NCAA regional. I think catapulting up high as they did in the RPI after sweeping Vanderbilt helps, but the RPI is not the deciding factor. We talk about it a lot, but it's not the deciding factor. It just isn't. It just isn't the deciding factor. That said, I think they are in the mix now. I think they're on the bubble. I think if they decided to pick regional sites today, they would be one of them. Absolutely. But it couldn't hurt to go ahead and win one more game One more game to lock it up to get to 18 wins in SEC play. That's our poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win in Hoover to host an NCAA regional? 78% of you say two. 13% say none. 9% of you say one. Keep those votes coming and keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Hotline is, of course, open. 337-706-0111. We got to take a timeout. We know I got Justin Holding waiting to come on to talk a little bit about LSU. We'll do that after this timeout, and we'll continue taking your phone calls with the game hotline being open, 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to see those Houston Astros in person. Then listen up. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. That's right. Houston's going to take on the Chicago White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. Strohs versus the Southsiders. Simply go register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and to score four tickets a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations. That's right. Look, we know gas prices a little crazy right now. Makes things a little bit more difficult for you and your family. Here's the thing. We're going to hook you up with the four tickets. We're going to get you a tour of the ballpark. And we're going to chip in the hotel room. You just have to figure out how to get there. You pay for the gas in your ride to go there. Boom. You're going to enjoy a great Major League Baseball game. You can cheer on the Astros, and you don't have to worry about paying for a hotel room. We're going to take care of it for you. But you only can win our latest Astro Weekend getaway by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. It's easy to do so. It's free to do so. Simply go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Click on the Rewards Club tab. Sign up so you can enter to win the Houston Astros giveaway. Houston Astro Weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Justin to the show. Justin, thank you for patiently waiting, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Uh, I got two things. I think LSU needs just one game in Uber to host a regional, and the other thing is just a little fun fact. 
Do y'all realize LSU swept both the teams that went to the College World Series finals last year? Yeah. How crazy is that, man? How crazy That's is that? That's pretty cool. How crazy. Yeah, man. That is a fun fact. I appreciate the phone call, Justin. Have a great day, brother. Absolutely. Y'all too. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. How crazy is that? Remember, we had the all-SEC final last year. Mississippi State finally gets off the schnosh, so to speak, and gets their national title. Mississippi State did not have a great year. That's what I guess Kevin Foote would call a medicine season is what the Bulldogs experienced this year in Stark Vegas. Not a great year (laughs) for the Bulldogs. But they got that championship. They got that chip. That's all that matters. SEC is interesting, though. You know, you look at who do you like? You know, obviously Tennessee is your regular season champ. But I already told you the last time we had a team that was ranked number one overall entering the regional play, which appears Tennessee will be, the last time one of those teams actually won the title, won it all, was Miami in 1999. It's just been a minute. Tennessee looks really good. LSU, when they play to their potential, looks really good. But they're so inconsistent, you never do know which LSU team you're going to get. Ole Miss has come on of late. You know Vanderbilt's always perennially a good team. But how do they respond after getting their faces crushed by LSU at their home ballpark, making the Vandy Whistler all sad? Be interesting to see. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Manny to the show. Manny, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, Ray, I'm a little concerned, man. I'm... uh... Two.coms yesterday, you know, Baseball America, whatever. Uh, had LSU as a two. One at Southern Miss, which I don't think will happen. One at Virginia. I, I just think it's the uh, volatility of, you know, how, how they've been playing. And uh, so I, I would like to see two. I got you, victories. bud. I think two wraps it up for sure. One, you know, and it, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little iffy. Uh, this two would make me feel a lot better. I, you know, that's, that's, I just think, based upon what I've seen, uh, I think two is assured. All right, Ray, thanks, man. We have, enjoying the show. Uh, have a great day, Manny. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Look, and, and, and Manny brings up a good point here. As great as LSU looked against Vanderbilt, they looked pawball against Ole Miss. Right? They looked awful against the Rebels. So, for D1 Baseball and Baseball America, like Manny had mentioned, in their mock regionals, how they're set, they have LSU as a two-seed still because I think they're a little gun-shy, right? They want to see if this LSU team is for real. Once again, their potential is immense because of the way the lineup hits. Jobert, Cruz, Morgan, they got monsters, right, in that lineup. But I think everyone's a little gun-shy because you've seen this LSU baseball team go up, come down, go up, come down, all season long. They haven't strung together a good three weeks in a row. They just haven't. There's been missteps along the way, and you go, what? There's been moments where you scratch your head and you go, what? Now, that's not uncommon in year one of a new coach taking over. It just isn't. You see this all the time. So, I think Manny's on to something. That's why I say they need to win one game. 
I think winning one game is enough to prove to the committee to go, okay, the Ole Miss thing might have been just a misstep, but look how they played on the road at Vandy. Look how dominant they were. They go to Hoover. They win at least one game. I think that's enough. 18 wins in SEC play. Once again, you're just basing this on tradition. You're basing this on history. If you reach the 16-17 win plateau in the SEC, nine times out of 10, that's enough for you to host. Traditionally, it's been enough for you to host. And that's where LSU got to with the sweep of Andy. So winning one more gets you to 18. Now you've exceeded what typically gets you to host a regional. That's why I think they need to win at least one. Do I think this team can win two? Would you feel a lot better knowing? Look, if Jay Johnson team goes into Hoover this week and wins two games, they're hosting a regional for sure. That go that, That's without saying. I still think, though, if they only win one, they can host. But we'll find out. We'll see. I just feel like RPI is not, look, RPI is not the only factor in this. And if you're telling me that it comes down to, say, LSU and Southern Miss hosting a regional, I'd put my hard-earned money, and I don't have a lot of it, but I'd put it, some of it's change, I'd put it on the table, some of it's pennies, I'd put it on the table and bet on LSU getting that regional over Southern Miss. That, that's what I'm saying. Nothing against Southern Miss. And look, I'd love to go over to Hattiesburg and watch a regional. I'd go cover that. I, I have no problem with the state of Mississippi. I lived there as a child briefly. Got, I got no problems with uh, our friends to the east. That said, if it comes down for the committee and it, it's LSU, Southern Miss, LSU's getting the regional. I think one wins enough. I think one wins enough. Obviously, you'd like to. And obviously, if you're an LSU fan, hell, you'd like to see them win the whole tournament, right? Improve their standing and even get a better regional. So, and LSU tends to do really well at Hoover, especially under Paul Maneri. He started that. There were teams that were just okay, okay, average, slightly above average teams under Paul Maneri. And once they got to Hoover, they turned their seasons around and then they were really good. Really good. So, be interesting to see. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win to be able to host an NCAA regional? We want to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter or you can give us a call on the game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337 337- 706-0111. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Dylan Cruz, Jay Johnson spoke to the media yesterday. We'll give you a little sample of that coming up next. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com. So you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All 
Oh, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising with the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. Look, you could score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. That's right, Downtown Rising's headliner this year by simply registering in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So you can score VIP passes for Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids on Saturday, June the 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Radar Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win at the SEC tournament to be able to host an NCAA regional. There's there's some debate. And the reason why there's debate, despite the fact that LSU's at 17 wins in SEC play, despite the fact that they just crushed the faces of Vanderbilt on the road, sweeping them in Nashville for the first time ever, is the fact that LSU's been so inconsistent this year. And that's caused doubt in people that cover college baseball and fans of the Tigers. On paper, on first glance, you go, hey, 17 wins, that should be enough. But this is also the same team that got swept at home to Ole Miss. Is that enough? Or do they need to win a couple of games in Hoover this week? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Let's talk about the LSU Tigers. And... Dylan Cruz, as we mentioned earlier, had a monster year. He's your co-SEC player of the year. First time LSU's had a SEC player of the year in a decade. Last time being 2012. And Jay Johnson obviously inherited Dylan Cruz. He was already on the roster when he arrived in Baton Rouge to be the skipper of the Tigers. But he already knew about him. He saw the tape. But has Dylan met Jay Johnson's expectations and this is what the skipper had to say yeah I'd, I'd say actually probably exceeded it you know there's a lot of reasons why I was interested in taking this job you know for the long term but in the short term my first and only question for Scott Woodward was is, does he have two years left like is he a draft eligible sophomore or not because uh, remember him as a young high school player when he was 15 right about the time he committed to LSU you could easily see the the special talent, the strength, the bat speed, how good and quality the swing was. So really not surprised, you know, with the high expectations of it. I think probably the thing that I'm most impressed with or pleased with about him is the caliber of character he has, the type of teammate he is uh, that equals or exceeds the baseball talent. Cruz has been an absolute monster for this team. And you know who else has been absolutely phenomenal is Braden Jobert. He had nine RBIs over the weekend at Vanderbilt. He was named your SEC hitter of the week. That was unveiled early on Monday morning. And Jay was asked what he feels about the big slugger. What a week. I was really happy to see he was named SEC player of the week. Um, Hasn't had, I mean, he's hit a ton of home runs, and I don't want to take that away from him, but hasn't maybe had the season that he wanted to have um you know but continue to work continue to grind 
Uh, I've stayed with him for the simple fact that I thought his upside at his best was better than anything that we could substitute him for. And it was nice to see that pay off this weekend. I mean, you know, we went, um, went 10 and two against the sec East and had a 10 and five road record, you know, and, and four of those opponents were as high profile as you get when you talk about, you know, Florida, uh, Arkansas, Mississippi state and, um, Vanderbilt. And, uh, we largely, had success at Florida and at Vanderbilt because of Braden's contribution. You know, it's been an interesting journey for this team. Some guys have really kind of stepped up along the way and, and, and others have faltered. You know, we've talked about Blake money kind of losing his confidence, losing his way as one of the starting pitchers for this rotation. And that's made their rotation light. Let's be, let's be honest. It's a lot of responsibility put on the shoulders of Hilliard. But where some guys have maybe kind of faltered and have fallen below expectations, uh, you know, Tyler McManus has really grown as a player under Jay Johnson's watch, and he talked about the young man's development. We have a few guys that we added in the summertime that I can't even imagine where this team would be without them. Tyler's at the front of that. Nine home runs in SEC play from that position is significant. You know, there was a while where he was really the only available catcher. So to continue to be able to manage the pitching staff and take really key at bats, I think my favorite thing about him uh, and his contribution this season is none of it has been cheap. Like, and what I mean by that is he has produced when we've really needed him to produce. And, uh, you know, that's you know guys some guys get hits but some guys get hits when you really need them and and that's been tyler so his his maturity and contribution it, it can't be under understated or overstated you have to forgive me i may be saying it wrong but he, he's been a massive massive piece of of this team's success and i i wouldn't even want to think where we were without him he has stepped up in a big way for this team and and you have your preconceived notions about a team and about who's going to be the impact players and who's going to step up before the start of the season. And then the season progresses and you go, hey, wow. Look, Jacob Berry is a great player. Make no bones about it. But there was a lot of talk about him because he's a switch hitter coming in from Arizona that he was could be the, the best player on this team. And he's not. Now, that shows you the depth and the quality of LSU's lineup. Dylan Cruz is the best player on the team. You can make an argument that Joe Bear may even be better than Jacob Berry. So you have a lot of guys right there in the mix that maybe you weren't expecting. I don't think anyone expected Joe Bear to have the season that he's had. I don't think anyone expected McManus to develop the way he has. That's the thing that you learn about a team throughout the season is that certain guys just rise to the occasion. They they may be just just as equally as talented as the other guy lined up right next to them in the dugout, but certain guys they just rise to the occasion as the season progresses. McManus, Joe Bear are a couple of those guys that really have done so for the Tigers. This team has had its ups and downs. We've talked about it. just in the last couple of weeks they've had ups and downs, getting swept by Ole Miss and then sweeping Vanderbilt. But obviously, it's a learning process, not only for the team and the players learning what Jay Johnson expects, how he wants to run his program, but it's also a learning experience from the skipper learning about his team 
and learning about his players. And Jay spoke about that as well yesterday. You know, we really, when I, I came here, I felt like uh, the mindset piece in, in my observations in the fall, the biggest thing that we needed to work on was improving mindset and, and I don't want to say controlling it, but uh, growing up, maturing. And um, I think it was really evident this weekend that uh, our players were in a really good headspace. And I think that's something they'll have to continue to be as you go into the postseason. I've promised them if they would continue to improve on that, um, that we would be very difficult to deal with or, or beat this time of year. And that obviously um, was the case last weekend, but that doesn't guarantee anything this week. And the nature of baseball is so different that, um, you know, consistency is hard to come by, especially when you're playing great opponents. And, you know, you look at our, our bracket, the one guarantee that we have is we're playing great opponent in any game that we play this week. You know, it felt like when you watched this team play Vandy that the team had flipped a switch, right? And that it all of a sudden had turned it on and realized, hey, guys, we're LSU. We wear the purple and gold. This means something. We can't let Ole Miss come into our house and whoop us and sweep us. We have to go on the road. We have to prove to people that we're LSU because they weren't playing like LSU. They weren't playing to the LSU standard. And Dylan Cruz, your co-SEC player of the year, talked to the media yesterday about how he feels that the team flipped that switch after losing to Ole Miss. I guess we kind of use it as fuel, really. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough coming off a three-game loss series against Ole Miss. I mean, we knew it was at stake. We knew we needed to win three games or get to that 17-win mark to kind of, you know, hopefully get in that fourth-place spot. And we knew it was at stake, so we, we, went, we went all in, and, you know, we, uh, we did what we needed to do. Look, they knew immediately, put the regional aside, they knew that they had to put themselves in position to get the four spot because they wanted the double bye. Now, they got some help because Auburn faltered in the final weekend as well. And then LSU swept Vandy, so they, they were able to get into the four spot there in Hoover for the SEC tournament. But, you know, this is still a young team. We talk about the guys on this team, but for the most part, there's a lot of young guys on this team and Cruz was asked, how do they make sure that this young team that's been so up and down all year, how do they keep focus now heading into the tournament? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's obvious that we've had a lot of setbacks this year, a lot of injuries. So really it just comes to who's going to be the toughest at the end of the day for us. I mean, yeah, we had a really, we had a pretty tough weekend at, uh, with Ole Miss. But again, we knew it was at stake. We knew what we needed to do to get We obviously want to win, uh, host a regional most super regional, so we know what we got to do. We got to get to those those win marks, and you know we we were able to pull it out against Vanderbilt. So we got a job to do over here at the SEC tournament. We knew Dylan could hit, but something that Jay Johnson and their staff did and worked with Dylan on during the fall and obviously early in the spring before the start of the season was working on the glove work, becoming more of a complete baseball player. And he talked about how much that he has progressed as an outfielder. Yeah, I played I played center field all throughout high school. I mean, um, that was my spot in high school, so it wasn't really a big a transition. 
you know, that's that was probably my biggest goal coming into this year was my outfield, not really anything hitting. It was just really my outfield. I wanted to improve my routes, my speed, my arm strength. So that was my biggest goal. And um, I worked on it every single day with uh, Coach Chief, Coach Wanaka. Yeah, they, they helped me improve on that. And I'm just happy to be where I am today with that. It's the little things like that, right? It's the little things. He, he could have easily just come back and just said, hey, I'm just a hitter. And would Jay Johnson or the staff really would have made a, a huge deal about it? Probably not. But he wanted to work on the glove work, and it's made him a better ball player, and it's helped LSU. Once again, LSU is scheduled to take on the winner of Auburn and Kentucky there on Wednesday night. They'll be the fourth of four games, tentatively scheduled for 8 o'clock, but weather could wreck havoc at the SEC tournament in Hoover, just like it could wreck havoc for the Sunbelt Conference tournament over in Montgomery. We already told you, and we'll tell you again in case you missed it, they've already reshuffled a few of the games at the Sunbelt tournament today. They're trying to get them in early. So they moved up their times to noon and to 3.30 this afternoon, the single elimination portion of the tournament, to get those games in because they're worried about the storm system coming through. So the Cajuns at the Sunbelt Tournament are supposed to play arch-rival South Alabama at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. We'll keep you updated whether or not that happens throughout today and tomorrow. We'll do the same thing, obviously, with the SEC Tournament as well because weather could play an issue. Now, there's been some talk behind the scenes. What are they going to do if rain and showers kind of wipes out two days of the tournament because here's the thing you have to get these tournaments in on Sunday because they unveil the regional sites on Monday so right now they're only supposed to be playing the championship game on Sunday you could possibly it's not ideal but you could possibly be forced to play the semifinals in the morning and then play your championship game later on Sunday if need be. So they have some room there to be able to squeeze in some additional gains. Hopefully the weather won't be as bad as it's projected to be. Got a knock on wood there if you're a Cajun baseball fan and an LSU baseball fan. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update our poll question of the day. Yeah, I mean, throughout the Figure out how you feel about that, how many games you feel LSU needs to win or not win. Some of you think they don't need to win any games. 17 wins is enough. Some of you feel that they have to win two games to make sure to lock up an NCAA regional. We'll update that coming up after this timeout. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Yes, let's get it. Have you become a member of the Game Rewards Club yet? Because if you haven't, listen up. Let me talk to you. It's your boy RP3. You need to sign up for our Rewards Club. Not because all the cool kids are doing it. Not because it's the trendy thing to do. No, no, no. This is why you need to do so. Because you're going to have the chance to win free stuff. Gas prices are high right now. Things cost more. You got kids having to gear up for camp, summer vacations. Money can get a little tight, can it? Right? Won't you let us help you out? 
But we can only help you out by hooking you up with free stuff if you become a member of our rewards club. Go sign up today right now at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Click on the rewards club tab so you can sign up to become a member of the game rewards club. And once you do so, by the way, you earn points by becoming a member. Once you become a member, you can take those points that you earn to enter to win free stuff. Like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, delicious Gulf seafood. A $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. You like to go down to Cypress Bayou? You like to have a good time? Like to do a little gambling but don't want to have to pay for your food? Guess what? We can hook you up as well with a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Oh, and once you become a member, you can also enter to win, I don't know, Astro Weekend Getaways. Four tickets to see the Strohs take on the White Sox in the month of June. We throw in a hotel room and a tour of the ballpark as well. But you can only win all of that great stuff by becoming a member of our clubhouse today. So go sign up. It's free to do so. It's easy to do so. Go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Sign up today for our rewards club so you can start winning free stuff. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win in Hoover to host an NCAA regional? Right now, 74% of you see say you, they still need to win two games. That Yeah, it's great that they crushed the faces of the Commodores, but it's not enough. They've been way too up and down despite getting to 17 wins and crushing Vandy. It's not going to be enough. You still feel they need to win two more games to get to 19 SEC wins to be able to host an NCAA regional. 16% of you agree with me. You say they only need one. They got to that 17 marker, which is a plateau. You win one, you get to 18. I think that's going to be enough, especially if it comes down for them choosing between LSU and Southern Miss. They're going to choose LSU. And 10% of you say they don't need to do a darn thing. They're already good to go. They got to 17 wins. They crushed Vandy. No more wins are needed. So there you go. Got to love it. Keep those votes coming. We want to keep hearing from you with our poll question of the day. How many wins does LSU need to grab in Hoover this week at the SEC tournament? to be able to lock up hosting an NCAA regional? That's our poll question of the day. And we want to hear from you. So go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and the Twitter. Coming up, one more hour to go. we got two great guests lined up for you. Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights will join us talking all things NBA playoffs. Is the Western Conference Finals done after tonight? What about the Eastern Conference Finals? Why is it so crazy? Why is it so schizophrenic? Ollie will break it all down for us coming up at 8.30. To kick off hour number three, though, not to worry, Jarrett Rozier will be joining us. Talking recruiting. Latest with the Raging Cajuns. Coach Dez, they bagged themselves another recruit. LSU some activity. That all be coming up next hour, as well as our ticket giveaway for Downtown Rising. That's right. I got two tickets for Downtown Rising featuring the Cold War kids to give away. You just got to answer the sports trivia question. Yesterday, it was Saints-related. Today, 
Houston Astros related trivia question coming up next hour. You answer it correctly. The first one to do so, you're going to win two tickets to Downtown Rising. That's all coming up. Final hour right around the bend. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Tuesday is here. What a week we got on tap, right? Lots going on. Sunbelt Conference Tournament begins play today. They bumped up some of the games a little early because of weather coming through there in Montgomery. SEC tournaments dealing with weather issues as well. They begin play today in the single elimination format of their tournament over in Hoover at the Met. We got that going on. Then this weekend, Thursday through Saturday, best two of three series between McNeese and Southeastern, Southland Conference Championship Series. Winner wins the tournament and gets that automatic bid to an NCAA regional. That's what's going on in Diamond. Plus, we got the Houston Astros in action. NBA playoffs are in full force. Oh, and it's the last week of school for most kids here throughout the Acadiana region, including a little one named Hattie Elise Parch. Half day coming Wednesday, half day coming Thursday. Is mommy and daddy prepared? Not really, but we will be. (laughs) We will be. But with all this going on, there's still recruiting going on. Hot and heavy. News coming out involving the Raging Cajuns and the LSU Tigers. And the man who stays on top of this. I don't know how he does it. I'm not for sure why he does it. But somehow he finds a way to have a social calendar like he does. He's everywhere. He's Mr. Worldwide, yet he's always on top of recruiting as well. He's our preferred recruiting analyst, Mr. Extraordinary himself. Jarrett Rozier joins us now on RP3 and Company. Jarrett, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Uh, Shaking back from that that wedding weekend trip. And if you all want to add on to the recruiting some, you know, some background on some nordic country folklore and whatnot i picked up some of that from my swedish friends this weekend so we can cover a couple bases of hey when you when you told me that last week you're like yeah i have to i have to do something on thursday i can't because i asked you to uh, i asked you for something like i'm going to be busy on thursday i gotta go pick up my friends from sweden for a wedding for this weekend i'm like who lives this life who who lives this life and the only person that i know that lives this life is jared rosier Congrats, bud. This is uh, this is one of my Southern University combination uh, T-shirts, but 
the the friends who now live in Sweden actually have them because it's closest to the Swedish flag. So they're rocking their Swedish flag, <laughs> Louisiana versus all y'all uh, t-shirts back in Stockholm when they get home. Nice. Nice. All right, but what's the latest you can tell us about the Raging Cajuns? Some big news. Coach Dez and his staff added another player to the recruiting class. Yeah, big to the tune of 6'5", 290, or 300, uh, depending on where you look at, at what he's – been listed at different points in recent months. Uh, Quentin Williams, a big versatile offensive lineman from Trinity Valley Community College, announced late last week that he was headed to Cajun country this year to, to be a part of that program. Still has three years of eligibility left. Had he, He'd had a couple of smaller offers coming out of high school the previous year, but had to go the JUCO route, uh, get the grades right and whatnot, and has had some notable interest this spring, including I, I saw he posted an offer from Florida State uh, just a few weeks back, but kind of continues that that run that we had seen under the previous regime out there in Lafayette of getting some really big offensive linemen to to set the table up front for the Cajuns offense. Again, 6'5", 290, big, strong, powerful guy, but a, a quick first step. Uh, he's, he's played some different positions, uh, both inside and outside uh, on both sides of the offensive line. Looks like he's probably more likely attack uh, a guard at that level uh, and so they just continue to to bolster and um you know bolster the offensive line and bolster that that recent run of success of, of getting some big offensive linemen in there uh developing them and, and kind of making a little bit of a tradition out of it that these prospects are noticing and really uh, appreciating and, and diving in on that opportunity when they have an offer to come there yeah, and I'm not surprised, right, and you're not surprised that Coach Dez and his staff are kind of taking their time, right? They, they put together their coaching staff. He made sure that he brought in guys that wanted to be part of the culture, had been there before. Some of them had connections there, and they're taking their time. They're not just rushing and just throwing out offers to guys left and right. It seems like they're pretty methodical here with their approach. Yeah, I, I think it's been an interesting year to see a little bit more patience with some of the final – spots and in, in classes in a lot of different places because we talked about recently LSU is looking like they're heading into June with a couple of spots that that they're still working with uh, and and everything particularly with the way the last couple of years have gone uh, and all the changes on a, a national landscape you've seen more and more of a a trickle down approach to some of that where with I mean everything from the early signing period and then through COVID and transfer portal and and everything that has followed, um, you're seeing kind of a, a heavy front end rush by some of these Power Five programs, and then the the group of fives start to kind of fill up from there. Um, and and you also have to at this point keep your eyes on that transfer portal so much more heavily that I think at this point more than ever before you're looking at a, a year round recruiting process that. You're seeing some of the the college coaches uh, try to pose. Could there be a, a way to to scale that back some and, and find some more specific periods to where it's not this constant? But yeah, we're we're heading into June, looking at a lot of programs still filling out the class and, and having to be patient and make sure they find the right fits. And uh, you know, having a a staff that is familiar with the program, but still a new look staff. Some guys in some some different positions. Des being a, a head coach now. Um, you're seeing that certainly in Lafayette. Let's talk national-wise because 
the NCAA makes this decision to take away the yearly restrictions of having a max of 25 scholarships that you can offer per year. Now, they still have the overall scholarship limitations, right, Jared? That hasn't gone away. Mm -hmm. But for the next two years, they're like, hey, you don't have to worry about any type of limitations. I argue it's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle now if they're doing this. Why do you think the NCAA has decided to do this? And what type of impacts is that going to make on recruiting? Yeah, it's it's a pretty classic NCAA situation. We're just, I mean, we're less than 15 years removed, I believe, from the cap of 25 per year because everyone got up in arms about particularly some SEC schools uh, signing so many players and some of the, the issues that was causing with, with log jams and, and guys having to head out and transfer. And, and again, I think that was 2009, 2010-ish that that rule went into effect. And so now we here are just here we are just over a decade later and people are frustrated because of the limits and not being able to to build the full roster as well. And certainly there have been other factors that have come into play with that that we just mentioned everything with the COVID and the transfer portal and whatnot. And so we've talked a lot the last couple of years about some of the issues that LSU has had building back to that 85 man number that you're allowed at at a given time on a division one football roster. And this is opening back up just as the the one-year waiver to allow up to seven additional scholarships depending on how many guys you lost to the transfer portal uh, and so that's why you've seen LSU sign 30 to this point um, they they felt like the NCAA committees felt like there still needed to be uh, some additional opportunity for for some of these programs because uh, there are several around the country that have had trouble getting back to 85. And so for the next two years on kind of a, I guess, a, a trial version, they are opening that back up completely and just saying you have to be down to 85, uh, but it doesn't have to be 25 per year. And, and there is some thought that they, that may continue beyond those two years, but we'll kind of see how it goes. And it's just, it's kind of a continued game of whack-a-mole for the NCAA trying to, to find, find answers, but knowing that there are going to be at least from the outside, recognizing that there are going to probably be some unintended consequences that come along with it. Uh, I think there's a lot of talk about this helping with high school guys coming out and how much more difficult it's been to get a scholarship straight out of high school because of what the transfer portal has done. And I, I think it'll help some in that regard, but I think it also opens up the doors that much more for because there are no limitations to whether it has to be a, a high school scholarship or a, a transfer scholarship. I think it opened up, opens up the door for some of the bigger programs to use the transfer portal that much more heavily and possibly, you know, turn some of the group of five and FCS schools into uh, some, some feeder situations where you can just kind of prey on those rosters entirely. And then all of those high school guys are funneling through for just a year or two and then transferring and so I'm interested to see how it all shapes up. You never know until you know, but I, I certainly see some pros, but also some potential cons here uh, with the revolving door that college athletics is becoming. We're talking with Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst reporter. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud. Saban, Jimbo, war <laughs> of words. I said this. What Saban said isn't necessarily untrue. Uh, just the way he said it was done the wrong way. And 
I just also think he's to the point now where he's the cranky old man and he just doesn't give a, a darn what he says anymore, right? He, he's to the point now he's like, I, I just don't care. I'm going to speak whatever I want to say, however I want to say it, I don't care. Jimbo then gets all bent out of shape. It's funny to me because a guy with all the skeletons in his closet and all the violations at Florida State and at A&M and so forth and so forth to pretend like there's nothing going on is humorous to me. This is also a man who made sure they got championship rings for an overtime win um, when they didn't win a championship. What do you make of the whole Jimbo Saban thing? And just what, what are your overall kind of thoughts on it? Yeah, as this unfolded, I remember seeing uh, Nick Saban's comments Wednesday night and woke up Thursday just waiting to see what Jimbo flip out we were going to see in in reaction to it because we've seen a few of these now recently where Jimbo gets very up in arms about you know another coach or or any media outlet or anyone that has anything to say about Texas A&M and I think I agree with you kind of spot on that Nick Saban continues to be kind of cranky about some things in some spots and you've seen him walk some of his comments back a little bit recently uh, you know in the last few days and and try to admit that maybe he went about some things the wrong way you're seeing Jimbo's reaction remain kind of petty and and this is this has been again kind of an ongoing run where we've seen Jimbo have some of these these little flip outs and the biggest thing to me as much entertainment value as there certainly is to it is you're talking about two college football coaches who I think if you were watching their players air stuff out the way that they are, there would be major backlash from the coaches yep. and, and trying to trying to get a handle on that. And you can trickle that down. These are guys that a lot of high school coaches emulate and look at the way that they run a program and, and keep things very professional and want their their student athletes to to not comment on anything ever. And so you're watching two of the the pinnacles of of college coaches and certainly in, in Nick Saban's case case of all time uh, react like petty middle school kids uh, with Twitter fingers. And it's interesting to watch sort of the hypocrisy of that play out as, as much as people like to harp on what student athletes say uh, some of these coaches can really fly off the handle a little bit. Yeah. And they're, they're a little sensitive up in their feels as they like to say. And it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just amazing. And I just, I just imagine Lane Kiffin just sitting back going, how am I going to stir the pot at SEC Media Days in Atlanta this year? Hmm, what can I do? Because Jimbo and Saban aren't going to are going to answer the questions, but someone will be brave enough to ask my opinion on the what happened, and I'll be more than happy to comment on it in front of all the media there at the College Football Hall of Fame. All right, let's talk about no about the recruiting because. I did find something interesting from the Jimbo Saban fallout. So many of Saban's former players and current players came to his defense, and so many AM players came to Jimbo's defense. Uh, not surprising by this. And I don't think, as much as we're making a big deal about this, this isn't going to impact Texas AM's recruiting, and it's not going to impact Nick Saban's recruiting, is it? No. You're, you're still looking at two of the premier programs in terms of on-field success particularly on the Alabama side Texas A&M is still trying to get to where they at times try to act like they are Uh, but in terms of resources and facilities and coaching staffs and putting guys into the NFL and 
you know, as part of those resources are NIL connections at this point, uh, which makes some of Jimbo's hesitance to reference any NIL situations very interesting because you think he could just flip this all into a positive and, and kind of spin it into a fact that, you know, we, we are going to find ways to, within the rules, to take care of our guys and make sure that, that they are set up with as many opportunities to maximize their name, image, and likeness as possible. But all those things are still in place. And regardless of what pettiness is happening in late May and eating up Twitter characters and whatnot, these are still going to be two high-profile SEC programs that uh, are going to be in the, the top two and three of certainly most guys around the region and, and some guys nationally the same way that they have been for the last several years. Wrapping up our conversation with Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst, reporter. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud. Rivals, national analysts looked at the top 10 quarterbacks of the 2023 class, and that includes Arch Manning and Eli Holstein and some out-of-state targets. What can you tell us about the predictions that the national rival folks made concerning the two top signal callers coming out of Louisiana for 2023? Yeah, and whether you're looking at those guys – or some some national prospects that LSU has has been in pursuit of in recent months. Uh, I mean, I, I shared the article onto TigerDetails.com, but I don't know that LSU fans are going to love uh, diving into the content of it very much because none of the predictions are pointing toward LSU. Arch, as we've talked about a little bit, the, the Longhorns, I had thought for a while, looked like they were as well-positioned as anyone, and that Georgia, Alabama – and, and some others were more likely to mix that up than LSU has been. And that's where our national guys predicted was uh, with the Texas Longhorns, Eli Holstein. I think there has been a stronger potential there of this new LSU staff, possibly uh, doing a better job of, of keeping him closer to home and staying in Baton Rouge since his A&M decommitment. But, and I'm sure this will only help the Jimbo and Nick Saban situation uh, be that much more entertaining and uh, and silly. But there's there seems to be more movement toward Eli landing in Tuscaloosa than in Baton Rouge or elsewhere. And so the top two in-state guys uh, looking likely to end end up with you know one current SEC power, one future SEC member, and then a couple of these other uh, national guys, Dante Moore, who we talked about a little. A little ways back, maybe about a month ago, coming through Baton Rouge and visiting uh, the new LSU staff, had a longstanding relationship with Brian Kelly and company. The prediction there is is Notre Dame still, uh, despite some of that push from the Tigers and Jaden Rashada, another uh, top prospect from he, he's from out in Northern California and, and made a surprise visit that we talked about recently to Baton Rouge. There's thought that he's going to end up staying on the West Coast, and the prediction from our national guys is that that ends up being uh, an Oregon landing spot for Jaden Rashada. So LSU uh, with this new staff may still have some, some work to do to, to make sure that they keep that, that quarterback room stocked moving forward, um, depending on what happens with, with some of these veterans they have in place now. Uh, you know they'd love to add at least one pretty much every year, and right now a lot of their top targets are being projected to go elsewhere. Jarrett, appreciate your time as always. Brother, tell the people before we let you go uh, what you got coming up on all the platforms that you're on, uh, some new stuff that you got, and uh, where to go check it out. 
Yeah, I had fun putting a story together yesterday, uh, a conversation I had with a Las Vegas wide receiver for the 2024 class who had picked up an LSU offer, chatted with him on my way out of town last week, got the story up yesterday, just talking about some of the special significance to him of an LSU offer that started to feel to him a little bit like some stars aligning. Uh, and you can kind of see some more about that at tigerdetails.com. And supposed to chat today with LCA 2024 Defensive tackle Melvin Hills the third, who picked up an LSU offer over the weekend. We'll probably have a written story focusing heavily on the LSU side of things uh, on Tiger details in the next day or so. Uh, and if Melvin's down to hop on Zoom, we may make a little Louisiana versus all y'all conversation. We're just kind of introducing folks to him and, um, and more of his side of things and the LCA side of things and kind of taking forward the, the reins passed down by Sage Ryan, Fitz West, Jordan Allen, Brylon Green, and all those guys. Jarrett, appreciate your time, brother. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Sounds good. Y'all have a great Tuesday. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll update the poll question of the day, and we will unveil our trivia question. It's Astros-related. I got two tickets to Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids burning a hole in my back pocket. I got to give them away. I need you to call and answer correctly. First one to do so is going to win those bad boys. We'll unveil that coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Poll question of the day. It's about them Tigers. How many games do they need to win over in Hoover this week at the Met for the SEC tournament to get a regional, to host a regional, rather? We know the NCAA would love LSU to host a regional. And if you just base it on RPI, LSU's not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. They're up to 21 which means they're right in the neighborhood of getting one of the top 16 seeds and earning one of those home regionals. Right now, projections by D1 Baseball and Baseball America have LSU as a two seed on the road, either to Southern Miss or Virginia. Say what? But traditionally, the threshold get to 17 wins in SEC play, that's enough. But that's where LSU's at right now. But there's still some debate whether or not they're going to earn a regional, whether or not they're going to be able to host a regional there at Alex Box Stadium. So that leads us to our poll question of the day. Poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win in Hoover to host a regional? Right now, 71% of you say they're going to have to win two. Get to 19 wins in SEC play. That should be enough to lock up for sure a regional. 20% of you say one. 9% of you say none. I said it before. I think it's only one. Look, RPI matters. I'm not saying it doesn't. But it's not the only contributing factor in these things. And if you're telling me it's going to come down between Southern Miss and LSU to host a regional, LSU's getting that regional. It's box office. They sell out. 
NCAA wants to make money. And they want to see, they want to have their product, their regionals, when they are broadcast on television, they want to see them filled, have stadiums, ballparks filled with fans in the stands. And LSU fans will come out and watch the other games. That's how that works. I say one. I say they get to Hoover and they win at least one. They got the double bye. If they win one game and get to 18 wins, I think that's enough for them to host an NCAA regional. But you obviously would like them to do two, right? You would like them to get to two and just leave no doubt about it, right? You don't want to have to be sweating it out on Selection Monday when the brackets are released. You would be like, uh, no, I would just like to know, go ahead and win two games and be done with it. I get it. I totally understand. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep your comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and the Twitter. And we'll update it before we sign off today's RP3 and company. But right now it's time for us to unveil our trivia question of the morning. Here's the deal. We did it all last week. We're doing it all again this week. I have two tickets to Downtown Rising featuring Cold War Kids. It's back. They're better than ever. Cold War kids were supposed to come a couple years ago. Pandemic shut it down. They're back. They want to put on a great show. I have tickets for you to be there to see a great night of entertainment. But you have to answer this next trivia question. It's Astros related. First caller to call the hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. To answer the trivia question correctly, we'll win a pair of tickets to Downtown Rising featuring Cold War Kids. Here's your trivia question. It's Astros related. Who was the first Astro star to win the Silver Slugger Award twice? Who was the first Astro star to win the Silver Slugger Award not once but twice? Answer that question. Give us a call. Hotline's open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're the first person to answer correctly. You will win tickets, a pair of them, to Downtown Rising featuring Cold War Kids. Once again, our trivia question this morning is, who was the first Houston Astro star to win the Silver Slugger Award twice? Call us, Game Hotline, 337-706-0111. we got to take a timeout. When we return here, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will join us breaking down Eastern Conference Finals and Western Conference Finals. That's coming up right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 24th, 1992. Al Unser Jr. holds off Scott Goodyear to win the Indianapolis 500 by 0.043 seconds for the closest finish in Indy 500 history. Unser Jr., meanwhile, becomes the first second-generation driver to win the race. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. And look, you already know that LMG provides show-stopping marble countertops for kitchens and bathrooms. But did you know they can also transform your man cave space, your outdoor living area to the envy of your neighborhood? You love to watch the big games in the fall at your place, cheering on the Tigers, Cajuns, Cowboys, or the Saints. Why not do it in style? LMG can help you with that. Visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com. Once again, lmgelite.com. Or swing by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business and trust me, earn it, they will. Yet, we do not, as of right now, have a winner for our ticket giveaway to Downtown Rising. I got two tickets to Downtown Rising. Featuring Cold War Kids. But you got to answer the Houston Astros-related trivia question correctly. You have to do so by calling the hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Who was the first Astros star to win the Silver Slugger Award? Not once, but twice. Who was the first Astros player to win the Silver Slugger Award? Not once, but twice. Call the hotline, 337-706-0111. If you answer correctly, you score two tickets to Downtown Rising featuring the Cold War Kids. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk NBA playoffs, in particular conference finals, with our friend from the Bird Rights, the editor-in-chief himself, the one and only Mr. Ali Cassell. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How you doing, my friend? morning Raymond I'm doing well how about yourself I'm doing great bud just to let you know you're not allowed to answer the trivia question um and in case you were thinking about scoring some tickets to downtown rising I I apologize to you right off the bat that sounds fine I understand <laughs> <laughs> all right let's talk about the Eastern Conference Finals because they are wild to me we're getting lopsided decisions in these games we're having a slew of injuries for both teams. And I know both teams play really good defense, but there's no consistency. It's game to game, which makes it exciting. But on the same hand, it's hard to get a read on what's going on in this series. What do you make of what we've seen through four games of the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, in both of Boston's wins, I mean, they were just laughable wins, right? They completely blew the Miami Heat out of the water. And while the Miami Heat have also two wins, their wins haven't been as consistent. And I think we saw last night just how almost fragile Miami might be, right? Of course, they're tough. They play great defense, but missing Tyler Hero just for one game. And I know, look, he wasn't responsible for everything that went wrong for them. But when they fell behind 24 to 6, you just felt like the game was already over. And that's so rare, right, to have that feeling. So, yeah, it's going to be a drag them out punch him out, fight for the rest of the series, no doubt. I mean, you, you named it two best defensive teams, I think, in the league. Uh, just by the way they play, right? They play so physically tough and hard. And with those injuries, yeah, Marcus Smart misses a game, and I thought maybe the uh, Boston Celtics would be in trouble without him. No, because Robert Williams came in. Boy, he was fantastic. So it seems like as long as they have, you know, Tatum, Brown, 
and just just a couple of those key guys like Horford, um, Williams, Smart, and such. Boston appears to be the better team, so I think you know even though it's two two, you you feel like maybe things are looking favorable for them right moving forward. But I thought the same thing after game two, right? And then they lose game yeah. three in Boston. And it's a weird thing where it's a every other game situation. So if it goes by that format, Heat are going to win in seven. Now, I don't think that. I think Boston's a little bit better. I think they have a little bit deeper talent. Lowry does not look like himself yet for Miami, and Jimmy looks hobbled. And all five starters last night, Ollie, did not score in double figures for Miami. All five. And they finally dusted off Duncan Robinson because they were forced to. I'm not really for sure what's going on there. But do you expect Miami to bounce back in game five? Of course. I think that Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Spolstra, Adebayo, you name it. They all have so much pride that especially after a beating like that, and I forgot to mention even Tucker, my goodness. Yeah, they're so mentally strong. They're not going to have any scars from a game four Um and like I said, it's, it's going to be a battle throughout. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's so difficult just to pinpoint exactly how the series should go. But, honestly, you just look at it from a standpoint of firepower. If they're both evenly kind of matched defensively or they can bring it defensively, and then the, the key really is in the offense, well, Jason Tatum's the best scorer, right? Jimmy Butler is an all-world MVP guy, but he needs specific parts of the floor and he needs help. As to where Tatum, I feel like he, he can score from three. Right, he, he's got more versatility to his game, and then Jalen Brown, which was shocking to me in Game Three that Boston fell down because he had what like forty points, and and you think that if he has that consistency, and then Boston just makes a few threes, they're a better team. But yeah, I mean, trying to pick an Eastern team, it's, it's always been a little bit rougher than in the West, where it seems like talent always percolates to the top. In the East, is who can you know punch harder and survive those punches the most. Whoever advances out of the East. Are they going to have anything in the left, uh, anything left in the tank, rather? And are they going to be healthy enough to take on what appears to be a rested and veteran Golden State Warriors team? I think that's a great argument that everybody should be having because I don't think so. No, um, Boston, I think, is still suffering a little bit from the last series against the Milwaukee Bucks, right? I think that's why they have had issues with consistency because they're flat out tired and beaten up. I mean, Marcus Smart, his right leg he'd be better off trying to find a replacement, right? Uh, because he's got so many injuries. And I feel like that's probably how all their bodies feel like. So, yeah, think about three more games of this left while the Warriors, you've got to think, are going to close it out either in the next game as a sweep or in five. But either way, they haven't been pushed nearly as much as both of these two teams in the East. And so that wear and tear, it's going to show up in the finals. you just got to believe that. <laughs> We're talking with Ali Cassell, uh, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company, talking conference finals for the association. Let's head over to the West. Dallas found itself in holes in its first two playoff series and were able to come back and win those series. 3-0, though, is a whole different story. What's been the big difference in this series compared to the other ones for Dallas? It seems like the simple fact that Dallas isn't making any threes. And you've got to think that they look a little tired, right? Especially their role players, um, Bullock, uh, Kleber. I mean, they didn't hit a single three between them in the last game. And if that's the case, well, Dallas isn't going to win any games uh, because that's what they rely on, right? You got, you're going to have uh, Luka Doncic get his 35 or so points. And then you can probably pencil in something from Jalen Brunson. But after that, 
they've got to hit those open outside shots and nothing is falling and it hasn't fallen this entire series you know they they i think they shot something about 37 38 percent from three-point line against the jazz and it was closer to 40 against the suns well it's it's fallen all the way down through through the cellar right again in this series and if that doesn't improve like i said they're not even going to win a single game you know, Luca goes off for 40 in the last game, Ollie, and Brunson chips in 20, and they still get easily uh, uh, beaten. Uh, Golden State's just so good, and they're a veteran team, and they've been here and done that, but they've reshuffled on the fly, right? They've rebuilt this team on the fly. What was the big turning point for the way this team has been constructed, in your opinion? I think it's honestly, at least for the last game, it was a great example of, Andrew Wiggins, you know, coming off his injury, you knew that Clay Thompson wasn't going to be that all, you know, world player, right? Where offensively he's one of the best shooters and defensively he can lock down just about anybody between one through three, maybe one through four. And of course, Steph's not that defender and Draymond Green, he's got to concern himself with guys down low. So you needed somebody to be out there on the perimeter. And it seems like Wiggins has really risen the occasion. You know, in the first half of the season, he played pretty darn well, and that's why he got on the all-star team, and then he completely disappeared, right? He was having those minus games, and he wasn't making an impact anywhere, but since these playoffs have began, he's, he's really shown up. You know, he's been averaging, it seems like, about 18, 19 points, but he's also been taking the toughest defensive assignment, and he does a great job, right? He's draped all over who, whoever he's guarding. That's all you can do as an NBA defender, and he does a great job. Right, because he's he's so athletic. He's got the length, but he's also got the experience. So I'll tell you what, he seems to be a great example of if you remove a guy from a bad team who's been, you know, typecast in a certain role, and he plays that way, right? He was very one dimensional, a low volume score in Minnesota. Well, he's completely reinvented himself on a good team. It's taken a little bit of you know time to get there, but when you get put on a good team and you're surrounded in that by you know those good players in that environment. Look what happens. So, yeah, Golden State Warriors, there's so much more than just Curry and Thompson and Green because it's been Wiggins this series. And then in the previous series, Jordan Poole has played well. You know, so it's a really complete team. I can't forget Kevin Looney, too. He's been outstanding in some of his games as well. Yeah, they were able to insert young talent. And the, the thing about Wiggins is that it's a classic example, like you said, Ollie, of hey, uh, you put a guy in a different situation, he thrives. And it took a little bit longer than I thought. I thought he would transform himself quicker because he was in Golden State. It's taken a while, but we are starting to see Wiggins play at the potential that made him the number one overall pick. The Warriors are scary. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah. look, Steph can drop 30 any given moment. Clay can hit eight threes. And you know what Green's going to give you, right? That triple-double, but that defense – and now you're getting, you know, 20 and 10 from Wiggins plus stellar defense. Jordan Poole can go off. It's an outstanding team. And, you know, I, I was down on whoever was going to come out of the West. Remember a couple of weeks ago I was saying oh, it's going to be whoever wins the Milwaukee-Boston series. Well, now it, it just certainly doesn't feel like that anymore because those guys, those guys are barely walking, right? They're limping around as to where the war is. They're getting production from just about everybody up and down the roster. And the big factor in that matchup, which both you and I agree, we believe it's going to be Boston, Golden State. Draymond, Clay, and Steph have multiple championships, and so do the, so does their coach. They've been here. They understand what it takes to win. They also understand what happens 
if you falter and you drop a game you shouldn't drop and it can cost you a championship. I would like Golden State all day long against Boston. That's just me. Yeah, I think Las Vegas favors that too, right? Um, <laughs> over the weekend, they completely rose as, as the un- unanimous almost favorite, right? And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's headed that way. But I'll tell you what, how many times have we had a plot turn, right? Mm, Say we're sustained an injury. Maybe Boston or Miami finishes the series up quickly and they've got something in the tank, right? Or they get hot from three. So I'm not going to write it off completely yet, but it just does feel like that. You're right. Ollie, appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you so much for making it, and we'll talk to you uh, next week, and hopefully uh, we'll be previewing the NBA Finals. Absolutely, buddy. Take care. It's Ollie Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, joining us here talking conference finals for the association. We got to take a timeout. Do we still do not have a winner? Y'all are killing me this morning. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. This should have been an easy question. I can hear Kevin Foote in his car right now yelling at the radio going, what do you mean they haven't answered this question? How do they not know this? They don't. They don't, Kev. They don't know. Once again, I got two tickets to Downtown Rising. They're yours. You just have to call with the correct answer. We had someone call with the correct answer and gave the correct answer, was happy about himself, and then hung up the phone. Got to get your info, my man. Got to get the info. Got to get the name and some other information so you can actually get your tickets. My man just called in and said, here's the answer. He was excited, answered the question, then hung up the phone and forgot to give his uh, information. So if he wants to call back, feel free to do so. Or if anyone wants to call, game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. It's 337-706-0111. A pair of tickets to Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids. If you simply answer this question, it's an easy one for Astro fans. It's an easy one. Who was the first Astro star to win the Silver Slugger Award? Twice. 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 Silver Slugger. Strohs, twice. First one to do it. Call the hotline, 337-706-0111. Hopefully, we'll have a winner when we return. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day. How many games does LSU need to win in Hoover to host a regional? Final results, 72% of you say they need to win two. 72%. 72% they say they need to win two. I get it. I get it. You're feeling a little gun shy because this LSU team has been wildly schizophrenic. I understand. I got it. I think they only need to win one, though. I really do. I only think they need to win one. 72% of you, though, say that the Tigers need to win two in Hoover. 20% of you say they only need one. 8% of you say nada, none. They're good to go. Dougie Fresh has chimed in. Need to win one, and preferably their first game. I want them to win the SEC tournament outright. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Shout out to Doug for the comment. That's our final results for the poll question of the day. Also, we have a winner. 
Shout out to Daniel Menard in Lafayette. My man was able to call in with the correct information. The correct info. Who was the first Houston Astros star to win the Silver Slugger Award twice? How about one of the greatest players in Astros history? One of the greatest Puerto Rican players ever. Astro Hall of Famer, the man's number 25, is retired, people. Jose Cruz. Jose Cruz. First one to win the Silver Slugger Award twice. He did it in 83-84, back-to-back years. Shout out to Daniel Menard out of Lafayette for being our downtown rising ticket giveaway winner. He was able to answer the trivia question properly, correctly, and to score those tickets to downtown rising. Before we wrap up today's show, I need to tell you about my friends over at QC Kinetics. Don't go through another summer with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now. Okay, that pain in your back, your knees, your shoulder, guess what? It can now be treated with the latest in precision medicine using natural biologics, growth factors that can restore and repair damaged tissue. Really exciting stuff. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, giving you access right here to this modern-day joint pain solution. You can get lasting joint pain relief with no drugs, no steroids, no downtime, and guess what? No surgery. You've heard Emmett Smith raving about QC Kinetics. You've read or seen other high-profile people talking about it. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can help you get your life back. Take action right now. Get a free consultation. Powerful, effective joint pain treatments with natural biologics are here. Call QC Kinetics, 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. Oh, that's going to do it for today's edition of RP3 and Company. I want to thank our guest, Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst, and, of course, Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights. For the producer, extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parsha Third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.